You guys are nice, awesome, Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> well, let's just go ahead and turn into the Bible. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I am really rooting for the 49ers to beat Taylor Swift because I am so tired. I see her running around the field, catching touchdowns, then her boyfriend, the Chiefs, they're all up in the luxury box. Yay, Taylor! T.S., T.S. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe a little bit over the top. Hey, just a big thanks to uh, Jason who filled in last week. Um, it gave me a chance to really get some nap time in uh, last week, which was awesome. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Now, we like to have Jason come up from time to time, and then what happens is, is during that week, I'll pick out a project around a church or something, and I you know, do that, as well as my other responsibilities. And then Josiah is putting together a new uh, stage set here, and so uh, there were some things that needed to be done there. So I said, hey, I'll take some of that and, and put together some of uh, what you'll see here sometime prior to Easter. So um, it's exciting. And I just, I don't say this enough, I just really appreciate Jason and Josiah. Uh, those guys do a great job. One, they're younger than me, so there's a lot more energy. Um, but also, they just do a great job getting things ready and helping our volunteers be successful and getting them what they need for everything. So just really appreciate that. Hey, we've had a great start. I want to kick things off with this. Uh, so the first five weeks of the year, uh, so far we know of five people who have indicated salvation. And what's cool about that, yeah, that's awesome. Um, what's cool about that is that it's uh, not necessarily happening here in our auditorium. It's people from our church who are going and sharing the gospel with people in their lives, and then they're able to pray with those people and see them accept Christ. And so this, that's exactly what we want to have happen, which is awesome. We had nine people take the Connect class a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's the class that you find out more about our church, and if you want to become a member, you can take that class. Um, nine took the Grow class, which is a, a class that talks about how to study the Bible and pray and all that kind of stuff. And then we got, uh, actually it should be seven, are now signed up for the Serve class. Uh, and that's how, uh, to find out how God has u- uniquely designed you uh, to serve his church. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, God's commanded you to serve. God has gifted you to serve. And so this class helps you kind of determine where that's at. March 2nd is our class. So you can sign up even today. Uh, breakfast is provided. Child care is provided. And if you want, we'll actually feed your children. Uh, if you don't, we won't. You know, whatever. <clears throat> it's up to you. Okay, that was... That joke did not go over. Okay. Uh, and then our attendance. This is awesome. So again, the first five weeks of the year... We're up 170 uh, year to date in our attendance, which is awesome. Uh, again, the three uh, services that we got going on. Uh, we're up 34 in the weekly average. We're up 10 over our 2023 yearly end average. And so uh, God continues to bless us. And again, we talk about attendance because attendance helps us understand, you know, do we need to go to a third service, which we did recently uh, going to a Saturday night service? Or do we need to do something in our parking? Do we have enough room for people coming in, or how are we doing with serving people, and making sure we have enough people serving, that kind of stuff. But more importantly, over all of that is, the more people we have attending our church, the more people are going to hear the gospel. And so the more people you're inviting, and we're inviting, and we have neighbors, and friends, and family, and co-workers who don't know Christ, we can invite them to church, and they'll hear me, or Jason, or somebody else share the gospel, and then you can have that conversation with them later on, and maybe even have the privilege of leading 
someone to the Lord. So uh, those are some great numbers and appreciate all those who are giving and serving to make that happen. If you're not currently giving and serving, we'd encourage you to start doing that and helping us continue uh, to be used by God to make those things happen. So be praying for 2024. It's our seventh year, and so uh, we're excited to see what God might be doing. Well, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. It's page 1028, if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And we're going to continue to learn what uh, Luke has found out. He's been investigating this Jesus Christ. And uh, we know from last week that Jesus finished up his Sermon on the Mount, is what it's called. um, Jason talked about that in Luke 6. And he goes back to Capernaum. And there's some unexpected things that happen, the first being an unexpected request. And so we're going to read about that right now. All right, so when he, Jesus, had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, again up north there. And a centurion slave, uh, who was highly regarded by him, by the centurion, was sick. And that word there, I just threw this in here because I think it's kind of funny. That word means to, is to have it bad. I mean, this guy is bad off. He's about to die. And a centurion, just for your knowledge, he's a Roman soldier who was a commander of a hundred soldiers. Um, so he has some um, responsibility there. He was probably stationed in Syria, which is uh, north of Capernaum. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not, be, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and I say to another one to come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even, uh, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. He was healed. So I don't know about you, but this was not just an unexpected request. This was unexpected in every way possible. The, the relationships here, the people asking other people to help, the request itself, it's all unexpected. Why? Well, but first of all, the centurion, again, this Roman soldier, this commander of a hundred, he's asking Jesus for help. A Roman soldier who could call down to Rome and have anybody come and help their slave. He, I mean, he probably had other people around him who could come, and doctors of the time, and, and have them. But no, he goes to a Jewish teacher for help. This, uh, according to Luke, this is the first Gentile that actually reaches out to Jesus. Now, he seems to be a man of God, and why, why would we say that? Well, first of all, his concern is consistent. His concern for the slave. Um, Luke talked about, Luke 6, Jason talked about it last week, uh, where Jesus was saying, hey, here's a, here are the characteristics, the qualities of, of a person who is a true follower of God. And this guy kind of fits the bill even though he's not Jewish and he's a non-Jew. The other unexpected thing he did here is that he asked Jewish leaders to go to, him, to, go to Jesus on his behalf. It says the, the centurion highly regarded his slave. 
Back then, nobody regarded slaves worth anything, especially a Roman soldier. They were considered property. They were a thing. It was, not, uh, it was unusual for anybody to... You okay, Sandy? All right. Thanks, Trina. Make sure you get her another coffee. Um, so it, it would have been uh, unusual for someone to care about their slave to that extent. In fact, the Roman writer Vero said the only difference between a slave, an animal, and a cart was that the slave could talk. So this was not something that was very usual. Another unexpected thing, the Jewish leaders in, this town, in the town thought very highly of the centurion. They said that he loved Israel. Again, we have to understand the times. Rome was over Israel. They controlled Israel. Israel hated Rome. Rome didn't think much of Israel. It wasn't even so much that they hated them. It's just that they weren't much. They weren't a big nation. They weren't anybody to fear. But these Jewish leaders, he said, man, they said they, he loved our nation. He actually paid for their synagogue to be built. In this day and age, we'd call that treason. You know, helping your, helping your enemies out. But here's probably the two most important things that make this kind of unexpected. One, he was, the centurion was humble. Again, he's a Roman soldier. He, he had command of other people. And he goes to Jesus, who is just a, a Jewish teacher, in their minds anyways. In fact, he was so humble that he didn't even feel like Jesus could enter into his home. That's why he sent people to talk to Jesus. Now, Matthew says that the centurion went to talk to Jesus. Uh, and so just to kind of clarify that, they're both right. Because uh, what Luke is saying is the centurion sent these people, and so those people go on behalf of the centurion. So it's as if the centurion has gone. And Luke's a little more detail-oriented, so he gives us the details there. But he sends his friends out and says, you know, actually, I call for Jesus, but, you know, he can heal with a word. And so I, I don't even feel like he could come into my home. And then the most unexpected thing is that he had faith in Jesus, that he believed that Jesus could heal. And not just heal, but heal with a word. That he didn't need Jesus to come in and, and touch the slave. He didn't need Jesus to even get close to the house. He knew that Jesus could just speak a word and he would be healed. And with that, Jesus is like, this guy's got greater faith than anybody I've ever met in Israel. What brought that about? Well, this guy, he was helpless. He, he had a care and concern for his slave. And he was helpless to, to help his slave, to heal his slave, to bring his slave back to life because he was in certain death. And because he knew that, he knew and he heard what was going on with this Jesus guy who was going around healing people. And so he believed that if he could get to Jesus, he could have his slave healed. And for us, you know, what's our helpless situation? Certainly, there are people who, in, in this room even, who have those helpless, they feel helpless. Some are helpless because they don't really know how to be right with God. Others are, are who are right with God. They're, they're struggling because they feel helpless in their spiritual growth. They're not really feeling like they're growing any spiritually. Or some people are feeling helpless because of their relationships or their, their marriages or their finances or their health. 
Here's the thing with Jesus. He didn't heal the centurion slave because the centurion loved Israel. He didn't heal the centurion slave because the centurion loved the slave. He, he didn't even heal him because he spent all of his money in order to build a synagogue. He healed the slave because the centurion was humble enough to come to Jesus and ask. You know, I, I talk to people all the time, and here in the last you know, month or so, I was saying it's either feast or famine when it comes to counseling, and right now it's been feast. And I've had to spend a lot of time with people through the week well, it was great what Jason was able to preach because I was able to pour some more time in some counseling sessions. And, and people are, are feeling helpless. And so as we talk about, hey, what's going on in your life? And, and I share with them what God's Word says and what they should be doing and what they can do. And I'll be like, you know, you, get to, you need to get together with God and spend time with Him and His Word. And, and it'll be like, well, you know, I, I pray about it all the time. And I just feel like God doesn't want to hear me. Uh, I don't know if God really cares about it. I don't want to keep coming in with the same problem over and over and over. And I think some people feel like, well, I'm just kind of being humble that way. We have to understand something. That's not humility. That's actually pride. It's pride that says to us, well, I don't want to go to God. I don't want to pray to Jesus and ask Him for help. Because the Bible tells us over and over and over again that God commands us to come to Him. He wants us with him. He wants us worshiping him, praying to him. He promises to meet our needs. And so he wants us there. And so this guy didn't have pride. He humbled himself, and we need to do the same. Well, Jesus, Luke tells us, goes on to a little town called Nain. It's south and east of Nazareth. And I'm not going to read it, but while he's there, as he's walking up to the town, he sees a funeral procession coming out. And there's a young man who's uh, died and the lady following it is, is his mother, and his mother's a widow, and this is his only, her only um, child. And so she's in a bad spot. Her husband has died, her son has died, she's all alone. And back in the day, that was a bad situation for women. Today, women can go get jobs and they can do the things to do, but back then, she would have put herself into a really, really bad spot because she couldn't go get a job. She'd have to try to rely on others. She'd probably end up being a beggar. And so eyewitnesses told Luke to say, hey, he looked at her with compassion, and then he went over, and he touched the stretcher. And when he touched the stretcher, he told the, the son to rise, and he, he got up. And I don't know if you've uh, seen somebody who's passed away, and uh, you know, I know we go to viewings and that type of things, and so, but the funeral home does some work on them. But somebody who's passed away, this young man, there was no life in him. But Jesus breathes life into this guy. His body begins to, to breathe again. His brain begins to work again. His blood flow begins to flow again. And it was amazing. It says that, that people just, it, this started going around the region like nothing else had ever gone around. Because when you think about it, yeah, Jesus is going around and he's healing people and making lame people walk and he's making blind people see and deaf people are hearing. But man, to, to take somebody who has no physical life, and to breathe into them that physical life again. That was blowing people away. And so all this information is getting passed around, and what Jesus is doing is getting passed around. And we're told that the disciples of John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist? We haven't talked about him for a while. That's because he's sitting in prison. 
But he's got his disciples, his guys are out, and they're following Jesus, and they keep reporting back to Jesus what's going on. And so this event, no doubt, they head back down to John, and then he responds this way, which I think is really unexpected. It says, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Now, think about it. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the guy who was told that you were going to go ahead of Jesus and you're going to proclaim the fact that the Messiah is here. In fact, John, the Gospel of John tells us that, that he said that, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, John, what's John doing asking this question if Jesus really is the Messiah? Well, when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And how this is... <laughs> I don't know how you guys read the Bible, but I, I try to get into the story and kind of envision myself there. And I also have kind of a cartoon mind. Uh, so I kind of think of Yosemite Sam, you know, right? And so at that very time, like as soon as they said that question, and as soon as the last word left their mouth, it's like Jesus was like, right? He cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. I mean, you know, something, but no, he responds. I, I told this in the other services, and no one told me not to tell it again, so I'll tell it again. But when, when Hagen uh, was still in the house and, you know, living with us, now he's married and he's got his whole thing going. But he and I used to enjoy watching, like, TBN, um, all the, like, faith healers. And uh, so <clears throat> it was just kind of fun to watch him. And then we'd imitate him, and he'd heal me, and I'd fall over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Anyways, so Benny Hinn was on there one time. Now, I don't agree with Benny Hinn. I believe God heals, but I don't believe he heals through people like Benny Hinn. And, but Benny Hinn was like, you know, healing people. People were falling over. And then like some people in the audience were out there. And so then he would like a point at them and they'd, go, and they'd fall over. And everyone's getting kind of worked up. And so finally he looks over at this, like the entire section. And they're all standing. And he goes, do you want some of this? And like, yeah. So he goes, like this. And the entire section, like dominoes all went down. It was so funny. Anyways, probably not how this was, but in my head, I can't help myself. I start thinking things like that. But anyways, let's get back to what's true and real. So he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And look at this last one. And the poor had the gospel preached to them. What Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm doing everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. Actions speak louder than words. And then he says this, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So how could John be asking this question? How can John ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? It seems like an unexpected question. Well, I don't want to give John too much uh, difficulty or hard time here. Let me just explain why. First of all, um, John was operating as an Old Testament prophet. And the Old Testament prophet, when they were prophesying about the Messiah, they only understood that he was going to come one time. And so they thought he was going to bring salvation, but also judgment at the same time. And so when John sees what Jesus is doing, he's kind of confused because he's not seeing the judgment happening. And so 
we know now, looking back on it, that it's, he's actually the Messiah. Jesus is going to come two times. And when we say come, come to earth. So he came the first time for salvation. That's what we see here. And then he's going to come a second time, Revelation 19 tells us, that he's going to come then for judgment. He's going to fulfill what the Old Testament prophets said about the Messiah, bringing judgment to this earth. But it's going to happen in our future. And also, uh, I don't remember seeing anybody writing about this, so I'm thinking about maybe even writing my own commentary, because here's a point that I think is very valid. Uh, And that is this. So John was told, you're going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, right? And so... So John went out and he said, hey, the Messiah is coming. When Jesus showed up, here's the, you know, the lamb who's going to die for the sins of this world. And so you, in John's mind, he's probably thinking, oh, Jesus, you're going to go to the Nain? Okay, so he's going to run over to Nain. He's going to go, hey, the Messiah is coming. And Jesus shows up. And then where are you going next? Capernaum? Okay, Jesus is coming. And so then he, Jesus shows up at Capernaum. Where are you going to go? Jerusalem? Okay, so then he runs on to Jesus. Is coming. You'd think he would be thinking that, right? Or am I just, maybe I'm the only one thinking that way, or you guys are asleep. Whatever the case. But he's sitting in prison. You ever been in that situation? Where you, wait, I thought, I thought God said this. I thought Jesus said this, but he's not doing what he said. It was, what's, are you sure you're the Messiah? Are you sure you're Jesus? Are you sure you're God? Because you said I was supposed to proclaim your coming, and now I'm sitting in prison. So in response to that, again, Jesus lets his actions speak rather than his words, and he he gives a bunch of these people some healing going on, and he's doing the miracles of the Messiah. Isaiah 61 talks about him. He's already mentioned those in Luke chapter 4. What better proof than to go around and heal people, just like the Old Testament prophets said would happen when the Messiah shows up. But I want to key in on something just for a couple seconds. In that verse that we read, the last thing he said was that the gospel is being preached to the poor. Back in Luke 4, he started with that, that he's going to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Jesus' greatest demonstration of being the Messiah is bringing the gospel of salvation to this earth. Miracles are great. The gospel is better. He's bringing it to the poor. Who are the poor? The spiritually poor. Jason talked about it last week. We're all spiritually poor. Everybody Jesus talked to is spiritually poor. We're all in need of God for our spiritual lives because we cannot have a spiritual life with God unless he does something. And so sharing the gospel is the, is the first and the best proof that he is the Messiah. People love the miracles. They love watching people who couldn't walk get up and walk again. They, they love watching people who couldn't see suddenly see for the first time things that they had never seen before. They love people who they couldn't hear, but now they can hear everything. But what Jesus is telling us here is the greatest miracle, the greatest demonstration of God's power is somebody going from spiritual poorness to spiritual richness, to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's the greatest demonstration of God's power ever. Why? Because it's a spiritual change. It's a spiritual work. It's great if somebody is able to walk again. 
to hear again, see again. That's awesome. But if they never give their life to Jesus Christ, they walk again, but they end up in hell. Where a person who gives their life to Christ and has that forgiveness can know they're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's the greatest demonstration of Christ's power. And then he ends with this promise, not to just John's disciples who will bring it to John, and not just to the people who are hearing it, but to us today. And that is, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And what he's talking about there is blessed has this idea that it's not being happy, it's not circumstantial, it's, it's going through difficult times with this understanding that my daily cares, my worries, I don't have to carry those. God's got this. It's this understanding, it has a lot to do with, like, with joy, where we know God is at work, that God is operating, and we can trust God no matter what our circumstances might be. And, and to take offense at him, we get our word scandal from this, it means to put a, a snare in the way or offend the moral sense or cause to stumble. And so to fail to believe Jesus, to say that Jesus is a stumbling block for you, to reject Jesus is what he's talking about here. And so we don't believe who he is. We don't believe he's God. That We don't believe that he died on the cross for our sins. We don't believe that he can give us spiritual life and forgiveness of our sins. That means we're taking offense at him. But John and his disciples, those who saw Jesus, us today, we can be free from worry and concern. We can be blessed if we believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. Well, after John's disciples leave, I think Jesus feels like, well, maybe they... They're going to start looking badly at John and wonder what John's issues are. And so John, uh, Jesus makes this unexpected statement. And it says this, When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. He says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And of course the answer is no. That John was not some fragile thing blown in the wind. He was pretty courageous and stout, you know. But what did he, what did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? There again, no, he wore camel hair. You know, he was not the best looking guy. Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. Now, why is John more than a prophet? He's more than a prophet because he's the one who has seen the fulfillment of the prophecy that he's brought. Isaiah never saw the fulfillment. Malachi never saw the fulfillment. John got to. He says, This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I, God, send my messenger John ahead of you, talking about Jesus, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, is greater than John. And so there's this unexpected statement that Jesus makes that John is the greatest, but the least of the kingdom of God can be even greater. What's he talking about here? First of all, John's the greatest, what he means here is that John's the greatest Old Testament prophet. Why is that? Well, because he is the last to announce the coming Messiah, and then he got to see the coming Messiah. He saw it fulfilled. And so his ministry was great. It's not saying he was better than anybody else. It's just that his ministry was greater in the sense that he got to see the Messiah. But John was killed. And so he never saw the salvation that Jesus would bring. And that's what he's talking about here with the least in the kingdom of God is being greater. 
when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking now moving forward past Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross and then he, he rose from the dead, he secured salvation for us. And a person who places their faith in Jesus Christ is said then to become a child of God, to become part of the kingdom of God, to be part of the kingdom of heaven. We're a new citizen of heaven. However you want to phrase it, the Bible uses different ways of phrasing it. And so John was great in that he pointed towards the coming Messiah, but he only gave half the message. And he just said, repent. Show your desire for God's forgiveness. Turn from what you're doing and get ready for the Messiah who's coming. But we who know Jesus Christ, we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we who are the least, we have a greater message. We have a complete message. We can say, repent and be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the complete message. He's also saying here that the old system, the old testament, the old covenant, the old contract is no longer in effect. There are new, there's a new system. There's a, a new contract or covenant coming, a new testament. Now, he's not saying salvation has changed. Salvation is always by faith. Ever since it was first talked about with Abraham specifically, that salvation, being made right with God, is always an, um, an issue of a person's faith. And so the old system the sacrificial system, they would sacrifice an animal. And then when a person uh, sacrificed, they would believe that their sins were forgiven for a year, and then next year they had to do it again. But it wasn't the animal's blood that saved them. It was what God said about the animal's blood and whether it gave forgiveness or not. See, it's faith in what God says brings forgiveness. And so in the Old Testament, it was faith that what God said about that animal giving them forgiveness, that they would then have God's forgiveness based on what God said. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes. He's the sacrificial lamb. He is God who's able to forgive us infinitely. He's man who's lived a perfect life so we can be given his perfect life and our sin can go on on him he's the one who secures our eternal forgiveness it's a whole new system still based on faith still based on believing that god said that jesus death on the cross forgives our sins not anything that we do well then jesus closes out his teaching by describing the expected response as i'm calling it He's going to go on next week. We'll look at it. He's going to go to a Pharisee's home and do some more teaching. But for now, he wants to share with everybody that he gets it. That, that most everybody will reject who he is and what he's come to do. And he uses children playing in a marketplace to kind of bring that. And so here's what he says. To what then shall I compare the men or the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children, which you could probably go somewhere with this one too. They're they're like children. They're immature. They're not thinking right. But we won't. Uh, they're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, another and they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. That's referring to Jesus' method of bringing God's message. Because again, this is an illustration. We sang a dirge or a funeral song and you did not weep. That's referring to John's message of bringing God's message. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. 
The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, despite most people's rejection of Jesus, wisdom, which is referring to people who have received Jesus' message, is vindicated or shown to have made the right choice by all their, her children. In other words, by the change in their lives. And so Jesus gives this response, and he gets it, that most are going to reject him. Again, the flute and the dancing illustrates Jesus' method of bringing the message. He was eating and drinking with, with sinners and tax collectors, the people who knew that they were spiritually poor. John, when he came first, he came with a, a funeral song, and he didn't eat bread, and he didn't drink wine. He ate grasshoppers, and he spent time fasting, and he was more like the Pharisees in that way. And, and yet they didn't receive his message either. And so Jesus is saying, no matter the method of delivery, if people don't like the message, they're going to reject it. And throughout time, man, women have rejected Jesus, the message that he brings. He said, but wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In other words, those who show wisdom by turning to faith in Christ, they will show that with their lives. The change that happens, they'll show that that was the right choice to make because their lives will change. The gospel message, when truly received, received always brings change. So what do we take away from these unexpected things? Well, the first thing that we have is that you could be like the centurion. Maybe you're here this morning, you're feeling helpless, and I don't know what the situation might be, but you're just like, I just need help. I can't seem to get through fill in the blank. I can't seem to get past whatever it is that you're stumbling up against. And so the centurion, what did he do? He humbled himself. He recognized who Jesus was, and he went and asked Jesus to meet the need. And that's, if you're here this morning, that's one of the things that you need to do. You need to humble yourself. You need to go to him. You need to ask him, hey, I need help in this area. You need to get into his word and find out what his word says about that specific situation or that general principle. Maybe you're like John. And you're confused by what Jesus is doing. You thought that by doing this, then life would be this way, but it's not this way. Or God says he's going to do this, but I don't see him doing this in my life. So what do you need? Well, you need to get with him. You need to get into his word. You need to make sure you understand. John didn't quite understand even what he was bringing, what his message was. And so we need to do that as well. And maybe... Well, actually, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here, you are the least. But maybe you're struggling with your worth. Maybe you're like, why, what am I doing here in this world? Why, why am I involved? You know, why am I breathing? Well, the one who shares the gospel is considered greatest in God's kingdom. You want to have a sense of purpose? You want a sense of worth? You want to have a sense of, wow, God's working in my life? Then get into the habit of doing what Jesus did and sharing the gospel with people. Because that will cause you to, to look at other people's needs and desire to help them rather than focused on yourself. As Jesus said, most will reject him, they'll reject his mission. But for we who have received him, we have the privilege not just to know him, 
but to make him known. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer.